Go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We have been looking at this now. Uh, well, this is our second installment, our second week. And um, I'm going to do a little bit of recap from last week uh, because this subject, even though we think we may know about it, uh, uh, requires us to change our minds in a lot of ways. Re- requires us to change our thinking, our mentality, our mindset. And uh, we're talking about heaven. We're talking about heaven. And, uh, you know, we obviously already have uh, an idea or a traditional thought process on what heaven is all about. Uh, but most of us only think about heaven in the context of some place that I go when I die. Most of us do not think about heaven having much to offer us while we live here on the earth. We don't think of heaven in the mindset of this is what uh, uh, heaven has to offer me here. It's always uh, uh, later on in the future when I'm done with life here, when I've moved on from my life here in the earth. Amen. This is the traditional mindset. And so we saw last week Paul preached in Romans chapter 12 uh, verses 1 and 2 that we have to renew our minds. How many of you know that when you come into the kingdom, your minds don't automatically switch to kingdom thinking? Amen. Our minds don't automatically start thinking like the Bible tells us to think. We don't automatically start uh, changing our thought presses to think our, our thought processes to start thinking in line with the word of God. There's things that have to be renewed, as Paul said. We have to renew our minds. You know, uh, I heard one minister put it this way. Uh, when you're saved, when you're born again, your spirit is saved. Your mind is being saved, your soul realm, and your body, your flesh cannot be saved. There's no salvation for the flesh. So the only hope then is to get our flesh in submission to our spirit. And the only way you get your flesh in submission to your spirit is by renewing your mind, because your mind can go either way. Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that when we come into the kingdom, all things are made new. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, then how come I still think the old way? How come I still want to talk the old way? How come I still want to do the old way? Oh, that's because there's a mind renewal that has to take place. And so we have to be very careful when we read the Bible that we don't read the Bible in context of our life experience. We don't read our Bible in context of what someone else has ever told us. We don't read or study the word of God in context of what a a, a predetermined idea that I think the Bible already is telling me. I have to renew my mind. Jesus talked about this when he came on the scene in Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. When he began preaching, the first words out of his mouth were not, Hey, I'm here, I'm going to go down a cross and let's all go to heaven and just enjoy our time together. His first words were, Repent. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom is at hand. There's a message I'm about to bring. There's something I'm about to change. There's something I'm about to show you, but it's going to require you to think differently. Repentance. Repentance has nothing to do with coming down to the altar and asking God to forgive you of your sins. See, we we have taken repentance and made it an event when repentance is a lifestyle. It's a consistent thing that's ongoing, taking place in our lives. See, the thing is, we come down here and we we come to the altar and we think that we have repented and then we never think about repentance ever again. Well, I want to repent today and I want to repent tomorrow. I want to repent on Wednesday and Thursday. I'm repenting all the time. Why? I'm changing my thinking. Why? Because my mind does not think in line with the word of God. It's amazing how versatile and how flexible our minds are. That's why we have to be so careful what we put in front of it. 
Because your mind will adhere to whatever it sees the most. We don't take thought to that. We just watch whatever. We listen to whatever. We, see, we put ourselves in front of whatever. We don't give any attention to our eye gate, our ear gate, and we're definitely not giving it any balance. I had one minister in Bible school that said, yeah, I have no problem watching TV. And, you know, I'll watch a football game and do that stuff. That's not a problem. It's not unspiritual. But I make sure and I balance it with time in the Word. If I spent three hours watching a football game, I'm going to spend three hours in the Word. Most of us don't think that way. Because we don't give attention to what our mind is processing, what our mind is feeding on. And you do not know the connection that your mind has to your life. Because I cannot change your life until I change your mind. You don't automatically start living a different way without first thinking a different way. And so this mind renewal is a process. And there's an adjustment that has to take place. Last week we just started off with there is traditional thinking, there's traditional talk about heaven And we have to change that context because the one man, the one man that came to this earth from heaven did not talk about heaven the way you and I talk about heaven. He did not demonstrate heaven the way you and I demonstrate. His his mindset in view of heaven was different than ours. And he's the only one that's been there and has come here. You know, I used the example last week, you know, if I want to talk to someone about Hawaii, I'm thinking about taking my wife to Hawaii. But I like to go to Hawaii sometime. You're down. She's down for the hat. Okay, so I'm thinking, let's take a trip to Hawaii. I want to find out what Hawaii, how do I need to pack? What do I need to bring with me? What's the weather going to be like? What, what are some things that I can do there? I'm not going to go find someone that's just been Googling it. I'm not going to go find someone that thinks they have an idea or, hey, I talked to someone. Who went to Hawaii. Now, let's go find someone that's been there. Let's get in a conversation with somebody that's actually been to Hawaii and can say, hey, yeah, they got this. You can go do this. You can go do this. You can go see this. You can dress like this. The weather's like this. At night, it gets down to this. During the day, it's usually like. Let's talk to somebody that's actually been there. There's only one person that has ever come to this planet that actually came from heaven to earth. All the rest of us are just trying to get from earth to heaven. And when Jesus talked about heaven, he did not talk about going to heaven. (laughs) As shocked as it may be, as shocked as as we all may be, he did not talk about going to heaven. Jesus did not talk about, hey, you know, I'm coming to take care of this act. I'm coming to die on the cross. So when you die, we can all hang out in heaven. That wasn't his viewpoint. And this is what we're going to look at throughout this series. And so last week we had to start off with traditional thinking. Well, anytime we want to discover the reason or the purpose for something, you've always got to go to the beginning. So here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, after he's created all of earth, after he's created all of creation, in uh, verse 26 on the sixth day, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our Likeness. Let's make man like us. Again, just to reiterate, this has nothing to do with what you look like. This has to do with how you function. He's saying, let's make them in our image. Let's make them in our. Let's get them to respond the way we we respond to things. Let's get them to think the way we think. Let's make them to talk like we talk, to do the things that we do. Amen. 
Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. Let man have dominion. Well, God is, God's in control. God's in charge. Not according to this verse. This verse tells me that man is in control. Of what? Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. Everybody say earth. Over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So what's that mean? He followed through. (laughs) He talked about it and said, this is what we're going to do. And then followed through with it. He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That means put it under your submission. Dominion means to have control, means to manage, means to be in authority. If you are in dominion, you are in charge. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the, everyone say it, earth. So as we saw last week, God's purpose for man has nothing to do with getting to heaven. It has to do with the earth. When God created man, heaven is not in this statement at all. Heaven is not in man's rightful purpose, rightful position in the kingdom of God. No, God created man for the earth. God created man to take care of the earth. God created man to rule over, to dominate, to control, and to manage the earth. Well, obviously we don't see that today. Obviously, we know that there was a fall of man that took place. Go over to Genesis chapter 3. There was a fall of man that took place. And this is where we think everything changed. This is where we think, you know, in our minds that God decided to uh, forget the whole man taking care of earth thing and decided to just get man back to heaven. After the fall, after everything messed up, I mean, that's, that's what we do, right? When we quit When something uh, breaks on us, we quit. We don't try to fix it. We quit it. But God is not a quitter. God is a restorer. God is a fixer of things. God mends things. God puts things back together so that they can again achieve their original purpose, their original intent, their design for how God created them. I used the example last week. If I have my Bible sitting up here on the podium and it falls to the ground. And so I take this Bible and I pick it up and I place it on the chair. Have I restored it? Have I restored it? No, because the definition of restore means to place back in its original place. The only way I can restore this Bible is placing it on the podium where it originally was. So why do we think that because man fell, that now God wants to restore us back to heaven? Why do we think that the only reason we get saved, the only reason we get born again, is so we can go to heaven one day? That's our mindset. Let me just go ahead and throw it out because I can see on your faces that you're turning it around in your mind. Yes, we will go to heaven. 
Okay, let me just go ahead and solve that for you. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you walk out of here thinking, I'm not going to go to heaven now. What happens when I... I thought I had that all figured out, man. That's the whole reason why I got in this thing. They said, where do you want to go when you die? I want to go to heaven. All right, say this prayer with me. That's the, what happened. I'm not trying to crush your dreams and your hopes. I'm trying to give you dreams and hope while you live. Amazing how we're just concerned about what happens when we die. And so if God wants to restore man, he's got to put him where he originally was well when adam and eve sinned they didn't lose heaven show me anyway i know we only have two and a third chapters describing us paradise and perfection but show me anywhere in there where adam and eve were wandering around waiting for jesus to come back to take them all to heaven show me anywhere around there where they were discussing or concerned with how do I get to heaven? You won't find it. The only thing they were concerned with was taking care of the earth. Why? Because they were created for the earth. You understand that Adam and Eve would have been operating outside of their original purpose if they wandered around the, uh, the garden all the time saying, I wonder what heaven's like. I wonder when we're going to heaven. And God's saying, hey, wake up. I created you for the earth. I created, I created you for the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. Uh, I created you to control, subdue, and, and, and uh, uh, manage the earth. So why are you concerned about up here? You take care of my stuff. What's the first thing he gives Adam to do? Name all the animals. Why? Because you're in charge. This, that's your domain. Sure, could God name the animals? Absolutely. But it's outside of his territory. It's outside of his domain. It's outside of his rule. That's someone else's kingdom. That belongs to someone else. So he's got to go to that person. He's got to go to that person that's over that area and say, hey, all these animals, you need to name them. You need to name them. So Genesis chapter 3, we know that Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. They fall. They become aware that they're naked. They hide from God. They blame each other. They blame God. (laughs) Adam said, if it wasn't for that woman that you gave me. I mean, he just went ahead and started taking them all out. Let me just find anybody else around here I can blame. I'm going to blame my wife. I'm going to blame God. I'm going to blame that fish over there. I mean, he's just playing the blame game. Eve blames the snake. The snake turns around and says, oh, man, it's on me. And so God starts handing out judgment. But I want you to see something here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Then to Adam. Now, God is handing out judgment. He gives to the snake, gives to uh, Eve, and now he's talking to Adam. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. What receives the curse as a result of Adam's sinning? The earth. 
The very thing he was given to control has now been turned on him. Where he was supposed to be taking care of the earth and ruling over the earth, now the earth is not going to submit to him the way it should. Still no heaven. He doesn't say, because you've sinned against me, I'm not going to allow you into heaven. He doesn't have to say that because Adam was never thinking that. Cursed is the ground. The thing that I created you for, now it's cursed. Now you're going to have to work to take care of it. Now watch this. Skip on down to verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden. Sent him out of where? The Garden of Eden. Not heaven. To till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the what? Garden of Eden. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The angels are guarding the garden. Not heaven. When man sinned, he did not lose access to heaven. He lost access to dominion. And to authority. Why is dominion and authority so important? Well, God created man for one reason. And here's where heaven comes into play. God created man to make the earth look like heaven. And the only way man can make the earth look like heaven is if he has the authority in the earth to do so. He's got to have the dominion. Without the dominion, man has no right or no access to heaven to bring heaven to earth. That's the purpose for mankind. So when God, when man loses his authority, gives up his authority to the enemy, watch this, now the enemy has the dominion. And what does he do? He brings hell. To earth. That's what we have today. We have hell on earth. Without man in his rightful position and with the authority in the hand of Satan, instead of man bringing heaven to earth, now we've got the devil bringing hell to earth. And that's what we've seen. We've seen the ground, the earth, curse. Because of man's inability to obey God as a result of his sin, as a result of falling out of relationship with the father, he loses his authority. He loses his dominion. He did not lose heaven. We've asked the question before, if Adam and Eve never sinned, if they did not eat the fruit, where would they be today? Right here. In the earth. Because that's what God created man for. Nowhere in the game plan do we see, and at an appointed time, I will send my son and he will gather everybody up and we'll all come back to heaven. So this is where we've got to change our thinking. Because God is a purposeful God. God doesn't do anything on accident. God doesn't change course. God doesn't change plan. All that he has done from the moment man sinned, to today 
is try to get man back in the position, back in alignment so that they can rule on the earth once again. That's all he's tried to do. So we've got to get rid of this mentality that we're trying to get to heaven. Again, you know, we've probably been asked the question at some point, at some time in our life, contemplated the question ourselves. And we may have even asked others the question, if you were to die today, do you know where you would go? If you were to die today, do you know where you would go? That's like the, the that's like Christian 101. <laughs> Christianese 101. This is how you get people born again. You make them think about what happens when they die. You know, I, I grew up in a day and age and went to some churches where, you know, we had, you know, two hour long altar calls, man. And the whole time, the pastor was just trying to make you sweat it so bad. He's preaching hell and fire and brimstone so bad that you could smell it, you could feel it, you felt yourself. And by the before he's even done, you're running to the altar just so you can get out of hell. It's not not even about getting to heaven anymore. Now it's just, I just don't want to go to hell, man. That place sounds so horrible. A lake of fire. Sounds terrible. And it is terrible. And heaven's great. And heaven has a lot in store for us. But heaven has a lot in store for us now. Today. The, the, the thing that I want you to walk away with when we're done with this series, the thing that I want you to begin to change in your thinking is I want you to be less concerned with getting to heaven. And more concerned with bringing heaven back in the earth. You know, that first song that we sang. Heaven to earth. I know I have purpose. The whole reason why you and I are here today is to get heaven back in the earth once again. It's not to get to heaven. That's not your purpose. In fact, according to Genesis chapter 1, we have no purpose in heaven. There's nothing for us to do. That's in line with the plan that God put in place when he first created man. There's nothing there for us to rule. There's nothing there for us to dominate. There's nothing there for us to control. I know that that now that now requires us to put up with the problems and to deal with the problems that are in the earth. I, I know that. That, that this requires you now. You can't just go home and watch the news and just say, God, take me out of this place. I'm tired of seeing all this bad stuff. Now it requires you to actually stop and and pray for those people overseas. Now it requires you to go to work. And when you listen to your coworker talk about how horrible her marriage is, that you can stop and give her some Christian advice, some biblical advice on how to mend it. Instead of just saying, man, I can't wait till I get off work and not to listen to this stupid stuff anymore. I know. The reason why this isn't being preached in a lot of churches is because it, it brings responsibility to people. And we don't like responsibility. I mean, the, the, the story that we've always believed about heaven is easy. Just live a good life here on earth, do the best I can, and one day I get to jump around on streets of gold, hang out with Jesus, live in a mansion. I mean, that's a great story. All the stuff that I can't have here, I get to have there. And no matter how bad it is here, 
I'm not required to do anything about it. That's easy. Look, and if I preach that, we could all go to the buffet this afternoon and just have a good old time, just rejoicing and thanking Jesus that one day he's coming to take us all home. I understand that. I know this isn't a jump around, holler, you know, walk out of the door, shaking hands, smiling at everybody. This is, I got work to do. But I don't want you to be in shock when you do get to heaven and find out you're supposed to do stuff here. I don't want you to get surprised either. Because that's a long time in heaven to realize I could have changed more stuff on the earth than I'd, all this stuff here, I could have brought that down there. I could have had heaven on earth. Instead, I decided, I decided to wait on earth. So we got to see the reality of it. John chapter 3. We're going to look at a conversation here. John chapter 3. We're going to look at a conversation here between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. By the way, this is all on you version. If you have, you know, your eye device or uh, a smartphone or not so smartphone or whatever you got. Um, semi-smartphone. You can access the message there. You can pull up all the verses. You can pull up all the points. But we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. I believe that he uh, helps us see some stuff. And we're going to talk about a term today that we've probably all heard. Talk about a term today that we've probably all seen before. And um, again, you've, you're going to have to repent. Repenting is fun. Right? Repenting is good. If I don't repent about something, then I could be living, living and believing a lie. So John chapter three, let's just read it all the way through and then we'll go back and pick it apart. Verse one, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, by night. So not during the day. He's not, you know, coming where everybody's around. You know that Jesus had a lot of people around him a lot of the time. But it's just him. And Jesus comes to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Why? Why does he know that? Why does he recognize that you are a teacher come from God? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. No one can do what you're doing without spending time with who you're hanging out with. The things that Jesus did were an identifier of who he hung out with. So these signs, these wonders that you're doing, you can't do these things unless God is with you. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the first time he says you cannot see the kingdom. This time he says he cannot enter the kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born 
of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. So let's break this apart. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus. And this is where he brings up the term born again. Born again. And we've heard this. Do you want to be born again? Have you been born again? I want to be born again. Come down to the front if you want to be born again. What's that referring to? Salvation. Newness of life. The old passing away. The new coming. Born again. Now remember, he's talking to one man in the middle of the night. He's not preaching this drawn out message. Born again. This is the only time Jesus mentions being born again. Why didn't he tell the 5,000, hey, by the way, you need to be born again? Why didn't he tell, uh, you know, those large crowds that he had on the side of the mountain? Why didn't he talk about being born again? That's all we talk about. That's not all he talked about. You got to look at Jesus's ministry for yourself. He did not preach being born again. He's talking about being born again to one person in the middle of the night. So born again, that means you got to be made new. I mean, you think about when a baby is born, they have no history, they have no past. It's that's your starting point. You got to be born again. Now, what does he say? Go back up to verse three. First of all, this is funny. Uh, Nicodemus doesn't even ask a question. Jesus's response to him is, I mean, you look at Jesus's response. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That sounds like, you know, if you're playing Jeopardy, what's the question? You know, you would think that Nicodemus asked, how can I see the kingdom of God? But that's not what happened. Nicodemus made a statement. Nicodemus makes a statement. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It's a statement. He's not asking a question. He's not asking about seeing the kingdom of God. He's talking about the signs and the wonders that Jesus is doing. He's talking about the miracles that are taking place in Jesus' ministry. And he's saying, you're doing stuff we've never seen. You're doing stuff that's unconventional. People don't just walk around healing lepers. People don't just walk around walking on water whenever they feel like. They get in boats. People don't just multiply food in the middle of the wilderness and and, and give 20,000 people enough to eat. They go back into town and find food. People don't just heal blind people. People don't raise the dead. When people are dead, they're dead. When a 12-year-old girl dies, she's done. She's dead. 
We don't go around, you know, telling them to rise up. We don't tell people when, you know, when our children are dying and they come to us for help. We don't tell them, oh, she's, she's just sleeping. <laughs> you see what I'm talking We don't go around and we find demon-possessed people. We, we put them out in the tombs and just let them hang out by themselves. And just hope they don't come to our towns and come try to kill us and hurt us. Right? That's what man does. But Jesus shows up on the scene and he's doing all this weird stuff. He's healing blind people. He's healing deaf people. He's spitting on the ground and rubbing mud in people's eyes. Who does that? Who walks into a funeral procession and raises the dead person back to life? Who does that? Who in the middle of a storm sees his disciples out on a boat and says, I'll just walk out to them? Who does that? Who finds their best friend dead after four days and doesn't go to console the sister and the family? He shows up and says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then says, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus is doing stuff that people don't do. Jesus is doing stuff that never crossed people's minds. Nobody even thought, nobody even thought, man, I wish I could heal them. They're sick. Their nose fell off of their face. Sorry, we've got a little place for you to go out and live. You can't hang out with us because you're contagious. And Jesus walks right up to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? This is Jesus. So here we have. Nicodemus, this is about six months prior to Jesus going to the cross, so all this stuff pretty much has taken place. All this stuff has happened. All these miracles, all these signs, all these wonders. For three years, this stuff has been going on. For three years, Jesus has been walking around on the earth doing. For as long as we have been in this town doing this church and this ministry, that's how long Jesus took doing his stuff. Doing crazy stuff. And Nicodemus, a religious teacher of the law, in our day and age, would be a saved person. Somebody that knows the word. From the age of five, this man has spent his, his entire life memorizing the Bible. Writing it down. Teacher of the law. A religious leader of the law comes to his comes to him and says, now, look, I know about God. And the only way you're able to do this stuff is if you have come from God. The only way this stuff can happen. And so Jesus responds and says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Because all that Nicodemus saw was signs and wonders and miracles. He did not see that the signs, the wonders, and miracles were a product of the kingdom. Because even though all that stuff was happening in Jesus' day, I mean, if this stuff was happening in our day, we'd have a prophet, we'd have a healing evangelist, we would have someone that's known for casting out devils, 
We'd have someone that's known for raising people from the dead. And they would say, oh, look, there's that healing evangelist. Oh, look, there's that prophet. Oh, there's that person. If you take, your, if you take a dead loved one to him, he'll, he'll raise them from the dead. That's all they saw was the signs, the wonders, and the miracles. And Jesus said, it's bigger than that. Because unless you're born again, you can't see what's causing all this stuff to happen. It's called the kingdom. Because that word see doesn't mean to see with your eyes. That word see means to perceive, to know, to consider, to comprehend, and to understand. He says, you don't understand, you don't know, you don't consider the kingdom of God. All you see is signs, wonders, and miracles. But there's far more to it than that. Unless you can... Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus immediately talks about something different. He's not alluding to the signs and wonders and miracles. In fact, Jesus got to a point in his ministry that he had to quit doing signs and wonders and miracles because that's all that people wanted was someone that could do a sign, a wonder, or a miracle. And he says, you don't even hear the message I'm preaching. You're missing it. I'm not here just to heal sick people. I'm here to bring the kingdom to this earth. He goes on further. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? This is what happened to Nicodemus. Doesn't even get it. I mean, his mind is stuck in the natural. His mind is stuck. Born again. And then he brings up something that, I mean, it's just absolutely disgusting to think about. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, how can a man go back into his mother? And he says, a grown man, how can a, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother? I mean, he is so stuck. And Jesus responds to that. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit. He cannot enter. Why does he use a different word? The first time he said he cannot see, he cannot acknowledge, he cannot uh, understand, he cannot consider. Why does he use the word Enter. Because the word enter refers to experience. The word enter refers to actually doing it yourself. Let me give you an example. To see would be to be a passenger on an airplane. And you are a part of it. You, you are in the plane as it takes off, leaves the ground, flies in the air, defies gravity, and then lands and comes back to the earth once again. That would be to see. But there are also people out there called pilots. That they don't just see what a plane can do. They actually do it. 
They actually participate in it. And now they have entered into an experience of flying a plane. I can fly on a plane or I can fly a plane. And so Jesus says here, unless you're born again, you cannot see, understand the kingdom of God. He doesn't say, unless you're born again, you cannot see or understand signs and wonders. He says, you can't see or understand the kingdom of God. And then he says, unless you're born again, you cannot enter or experience or participate in the kingdom of God. So the first one is a spectator, and the second one is a participator. The first one just sits and sees the kingdom and can acknowledge that's the kingdom of God in operation. And you can't have that unless you're born again. All you see is signs and wonders. That's all Nicodemus saw was signs and wonders. He just saw miracles. He just saw dead people coming to life. He saw demons being cast out. He saw uh, water turned to wine. He saw miracles. He didn't think, man, that's the kingdom of God. That is God's rule in the earth today. And then Jesus takes it a step forward and says, you can't even experience, you can't participate in this stuff. You, you can't be a part of this. Two things. Now, what is the kingdom of God? What does that even mean? I mean, we, we've, we've heard that so many times. We've seen that so many times through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that, that it's just become a term. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God refers to God's rule and God's reign in the earth. That's the kingdom of God. In the Bible, we see kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven used synonymously. I just read a book recently that kind of opened this up a little bit to me. They started to use kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God because heaven referred to who God was. If you could acknowledge where God was, you could acknowledge who God was. Heaven contained everything that God was. So they began using kingdom of heaven synonymously with the kingdom of God. There's no difference. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. So there's two things they're trying to identify. Who is in control and where is he in control? Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Now, when we think about being born again, again, our first idea, our first context of thinking is salvation so I can die and go to heaven. I mean, if you go out and ask a hundred people on the street, a hundred Christians on the street, what does it mean to be born again? Ninety-eight out of a hundred are going to give you the answer. I'm born again so I can be saved from hell and have eternal life in heaven. That's the answer. You might get a hundred out of a hundred. I haven't actually tried it. I'm trying to give two people a chance. Jesus talks about being born again. And he says nothing about heaven. Once again, nothing about heaven. He talks about the kingdom. He talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about the kingdom of God 
in operation in the earth where you and I live today. He doesn't say unless one is born again, he doesn't get to heaven. I don't have that in my Bible. My Bible says unless one is born again, he cannot see and he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot understand this is the kingdom of God in operation and he cannot participate in kingdom work. You go down to the end there, verse 13. He says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. What does he mean? I'm the only one that's ever been there. So if you want to know about heaven, talk to me. No one has ever ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is what? Where is Jesus when he makes this statement? He's on the earth. (laughs) He's on the earth. The son of man who is in heaven. Jesus saw himself as in heaven even when he was on the earth because he made it his purpose and his destiny to bring heaven to earth. There was no difference. There was no differentiation between being on the earth and being in heaven. Jesus was so tight in his purpose. Jesus was so tight in his destiny that when he's talking with this man six months before he's about to die on the cross, he acknowledges, I'm in heaven. And he's surrounded by messes. He's surrounded by Sick people, dying people. He's surrounded by people that want to kill him. He's surrounded by people that don't want him alive anymore. He's surrounded by people that hate him. And he says, I'm in heaven. (laughs) He says, I'm in heaven. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven. There is something that heaven has for you and I. There is something that God wants us to possess from heaven, even in this life, in this earth. And being born again and getting saved does not just give you access to heaven. What's Jesus saying here? Because Jesus did much more than just talk about heaven. In fact, Jesus didn't talk about heaven. Jesus did not preach about heaven, and Jesus did not preach about born again. The two things that we make all of our messages about, being born again and getting to heaven. Got to get born again so you can go to heaven. Born again, heaven. Born again, heaven. That's the two things that make up the majority of what we talk about in the Christian life as a whole. And Jesus didn't talk about those things. But he did preach about something else. And it was so recurrent in his life that people actually thought there was a real kingdom coming. He talked about, he preached about the kingdom of God. 
he preached about and talked about the kingdom and not just the kingdom one day later on. He talked about the kingdom now. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? That means within your reach. It's right here. Anybody that wants it. It's right here. He preached it so much that it got him killed. You ever think about why they killed Jesus? Oh, they just didn't like him. No, you can't kill people just because you don't like them. (laughs) You can't just go to the judge and say, hey, I don't like this guy. I don't like what he talks about. I don't like what he does. We need him killed. Doesn't work that way. There's got to be something you're saying or doing that's so strong that a government will actually say, yeah, we've got to get rid of this guy. It's because he talked about a kingdom so much. He talked about a government. I'll tell you right now, most of us think that the government is the world's problem. Right? Is government our problem? No, see, I've done this way too many times. Y'all know better than to raise your hand now. You know better than to raise your hand. I know on the inside you're thinking, yeah, it's screwed up government, man. It's messed up the whole world. It's not the government. I'll tell you what's messed the world up. Religion. And I want to shock you even further. Government is the answer to the world's problems today. Government is the answer to everything that's going on today. I didn't say the American government. I didn't say some new government that we've never heard of. The kingdom of God is the answer to everything this world needs. And religion is the greatest attack to the kingdom of God. The get born again so you can go to heaven is the greatest attack to your purpose in the earth today. And you have to see it that way. Heaven is for real. Heaven is for real. It's the real deal. And God has placed you in the earth today to bring heaven to the earth. Look at Matthew chapter 4 verse 23. Matthew 4 Verse 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the what? Gospel of the what? Gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. He talked about the kingdom and he demonstrated the kingdom. Jesus did not come to talk about heaven. He came to show us what heaven is like, and he came to show us how to demonstrate heaven in the earth today. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, went with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What's he doing? Demonstrating the kingdom of God. He's not telling people how to get to heaven. He's not telling people that I've come to die. He didn't even preach about dying on the cross. And he never talked about dying on the cross without letting people know, I'm going to rise again. Well, what do we wear around our necks? Crosses with Jesus on it. We symbolize the cross. 
We symbolize the cross so much that we forget that there's an empty tomb somewhere that he rose and came up out of. The only reason you can have life today, the only reason you can operate in the kingdom today is not because he died on the cross, it's because he rose from the grave. Him dying on the cross removes the sin from you that keeps you out of the kingdom. You can't be in the kingdom with sin. But once we get rid of the sin, now I can be in the kingdom and I can bring the heaven, bring heaven to earth once again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Look at it real quick. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. We've seen it a million times. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father. In where? Where is God? Where is our Father? Come on, you can say it. Where is our Father? Heaven. God is in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Verse 10. Your kingdom, what? Come. Not your kingdom stay. Not your kingdom one day. Your kingdom come. What's the next statement? Your will be done in heaven. No, we have to skip some words before we get there. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why are we wandering around the earth waiting to get to heaven because we think everything is going to be better when God has said, Jesus told us to pray, that when we pray, pray that the will of heaven be done in the earth. I mean, we, lo- we love heaven. Come on, we, we, we love, us Christians, we love heaven. We can't wait to get to heaven. But if we talk about the benefits of heaven, there's no more crying. Right? No more crying in heaven. No more shame. Get to see our loved ones once again. Get to, that's where Jesus is. That's where God is. Get to be in the presence of God all the time. Why are we waiting to get to God? God did not design heaven as a place that we could go experience him. I'm afraid there are a lot of Christians that are going to have that are going to go to heaven and have to be introduced to God for the first time. I've been waiting all this time to meet you. And he says, I put my spirit in you. I was there with you the whole time. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's better for you that I go. Better? Jesus, the son of God, doing everything he did on the earth. It's better for you that you go. Yeah, because if I go, then I can take my spirit and I can put it inside you and you can have me everywhere you go. No more crying, no more shame, no more hurt, no more pain. When we write songs about it, there's songs about heaven. There's songs about take me home. There's songs about, it's funny, we call it home. Why do we call it home? You ever been there? Anybody here consider a place you've never been your home? I love California. It's my home. Can't wait to get back home. I've never been to California. I've never lived there. I've never had a residence there. I've never had an address there. I know this is changing a lot of our thinking. It's changing a lot of our mentality about heaven. 
Yes, heaven is a great place. Heaven is an awesome place. Heaven is a real place. Heaven has so many things for us. And heaven has so many things for us now. You know all that healing that's in heaven? There's no sick people in heaven. Guess what? That healing can happen here. Your will be done on earth. What is God's will? See, heaven houses God's will, but he doesn't want to leave it there. See, the will is where it starts. You might have a will right now. I want to go to the bathroom. I have to go to the bathroom. And it's in your head. But guess what? Your body has to carry it out so the will can be done in the bathroom as it is in your mind. Your will be done in this area just so what God is thinking and willing in heaven, he wants executed in the earth. God does not want inactive spectators. He wants active participators. Learn what the will of God is and then carry it out in the earth. Well, I know God wants me to be healed. I know God doesn't, you know, if God doesn't want it to happen in heaven, he doesn't want it to happen here. So take everything you think about heaven. Take all the glorious stuff that you think about heaven. Take all that that awesome stuff that you're looking forward to and start saying, God, I'm going to appropriate that in my life here on the earth. You want me healed? You want me restored? Then I thank you that your will of healing is being done in my body right now in the name of Jesus on this earth. I don't have to wait. I don't have to say, uh, God, if you're merciful, if you can. No, I know it's your will. Your Bible tells me it's your will. So let's allow the will of God in heaven to take place through our lives on the earth. Being born again does not just give us access to somewhere when we die. It gives us access to somewhere while we live. I'll tell you right now, if we can, if we can understand heaven, see, you, you, know, you might have been thinking, you know, if I can understand heaven better, then I'll have a greater expectation for where I'm going to go when I die. That's not the purpose of this series. The purpose of this series is, have, is for you to have a better and greater expectation of what God has for you on the earth today. I'm not concerned with getting to heaven. I honestly don't care. I don't. That's not the goal of my life. God did not intend heaven to be our goal. Let me put it this way. God did not intend getting to heaven to be our goal. Our goal is to bring heaven. And so while we're sitting idly by in our church pews and and, and going throughout the world, just waiting and hoping and expectantly uh, desiring to get to heaven, we're supposed to be bringing heaven. Heaven is a place we bring. It's not a place we go. 
It's amazing what you learn when you go through the word. It's amazing what we discover when we get in the word of God and we begin to see what it's really all about. When we open it up for ourselves and we stop just listening to what everybody else has said or what we've always believed or what you know we thought it always meant, when we actually start getting in the word and finding out, I can bring heaven to earth. Your marriage might be hell on earth. Guess what? You can bring heaven into your marriage. Your home might be crazy. Your kids might seem like they do whatever they want to do. We have no control. We have no submission. And God said, yeah, bring heaven. What would heaven look like in your house? What would heaven look like in your marriage? What would heaven look like at your workplace? What would heaven look like? You can be surrounded by the mess and be surrounded by the craziness and you can still say, I'm in heaven. You can be just like Jesus. I'm in the earth, but I'm in heaven. You can watch the news and say, I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. Why are we preaching this series? Why are we preaching this message? Because for the last three years, I have made it my purpose as your pastor. To help you understand that you're here for a reason. If you come to this church and leave or go somewhere else. Or if you come to this church and one day God calls you somewhere else. Or if you stay here for the rest of your life. I just want you to understand this. I want you to walk away with this one thing. There's a reason why you're here. You know why people don't think they matter here? Because they're waiting for there. No reason for me here. Why don't I just go on to heaven? Why don't I just go to heaven? There's no reason for me to be in the earth. People don't even care. People don't know me. Because you haven't tried to change anything. See, when you realize you were created for the earth and you were created for the mess, now it gives you purpose. The mess isn't designed to keep you from your purpose, it is your purpose. bring heaven to earth yeah I know earth doesn't look like heaven and I know this that it's not going to until Jesus comes back and without getting in a theological debate with you about the end times and what's going to happen the Bible does tell me there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and Jerusalem's coming down out of heaven Maybe, just maybe, we were designed to be here for a reason. Just maybe. And so I live my life knowing that I'm here for a reason. I live my life knowing that God has given me a purpose and a destiny that's far beyond just living here and doing a good job and being as good as I can and then going to heaven one day. There's more. And and, in the amount of eternity compared to eternity forever, the, the, the sliver of time that we're on this earth is very minute, but to God it's very important. Who are we impacting with heaven? Who are we bringing heaven to? 
Who around us is living hell on earth and we're going to bring heaven to them? Like I said, for three years, that's been our purpose. That's been our goal. Today we celebrate. We celebrate three years. We don't have everybody with us. You know, obviously, I wish we had everybody all the time. But things come up. Sunday's your weekend. Sunday's your day to do whatever we want. But this is church. And I don't consider church important just because I'm a pastor. And that's what I do for a living. This isn't what I do for a living. This isn't how I make my money. This isn't how I pay the bills. This is life. This is the real deal. But today we want to celebrate that. We've got a short video that we want to show you that just takes us through the last three years. It it, it brings us back to purpose. Purpose. Why are we here? We have to be so careful because tradition destroys purpose. I hate tradition. That's probably the thing I hate the most. I hate tradition more than the devil because I can beat the devil. I can beat the devil. He's easy. He's whipped. Jesus already took care of him. But tradition, that's in your mind. And the only one that can beat tradition is you. In the last three years, we've been here trying to tear down tradition. Traditional walls. Traditional thinking. Trying to get you to think outside the box. Have a different concept. A different mindset of what this life is all about. What is church all about? Who are you and I? This has been the purpose of Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. This is the purpose of Anchor Faith Church to ignite the city, impact the nation, and influence the world. And I know this, you don't ignite something by doing the same thing you always did. Fires get started when you disrupt things. Fires get started, things get ignited when things become hot and uncomfortable. Fires change things. And I believe there's an ignition taking place in the city. I think that there's something being started. There's something getting heated up. So I want to show this quick video and then we'll close.
God has done some awesome stuff. It has been a great three years. It's been a great ride. Amen. But I'm looking forward to more. I'm looking forward to more. This is the beginning. This is just the beginning. And I'm asking you to commit to connect more than you ever have before. I know that we're busy. I know there's things that are going on. I know that there are things that pull us. I'm going to tell you right now, everything is easier when you're in church. Period. You know, people ask us, we we always say this in Vision Partnership, do we offer church counseling? Sure, we offer church counseling. But I've found this, that a lot of the counseling gets taken place right here. You realize that I don't replace the Holy Spirit. The pastor doesn't replace God. You have God and you have His Spirit living with you, guiding you, leading you. And we can come in, we can help shepherd, we can help direct, we can help guide, we can help bring some attention. But the only only way I'm going to show you is to Him. I'm not going to point you to me. And what we do on Sundays, what we do on Wednesdays, every event, every child's, uh, every kid's thing that we do, every uh, fellowship and gathering that we do for men and for women and for uh, married couples, every time we get together, whether we're just having fun or we're learning the word, it's all designed for one purpose, to give you purpose. To give you purpose. Outside of your purpose in God and outside of your purpose in church, you have no purpose. This is everything that we are. This is everything that we need in our lives. Church is more than just something we do because, hey, they told us to go to church. Church is what defines you. Church is what molds you. Church is what enables you and empowers you to go out and be a difference in the world. You know you want a different world. You know you want a different life. You talk to me about it. You tell me about work and how it's a mess. You tell me about your marriages. You tell me about your kids. You tell me about the crazy family members you have. Well, this is where we learn how to be the light in darkness. This is where we learn. This is where that's provided. For the last three years, we have supplanted ourselves. And honestly, it goes even beyond that. You can say this is five years because of what Pastor Brian and Cheyenne did the years before us. Paul said, some plant, some water. But in the end, it's God that brings the increase. It's not about the man up here. It's about the God that we serve. It's about the God that we love. It's about the God that we worship. Three years, five years, six years, however long. I know there's more. I don't look back. I look back to see God's faithfulness. I look back to see what God has done. And it only charges me. It only moves me to know there's more. There's something greater. There's something else. We, we are just getting started in this thing. And I pray you'll write it out. I pray that you'll hook up. You'll connect. You'll join hands with us. We'll lock arms. We will change Valdosta. We will change Lowndes County. One person at a time. But I'll tell you this. You know, when we're talking about heaven, heaven's got to first be real to you. Before you make it real out there. 
There's, a, there's an equipping that's taking place in here. There are lives that are being given to God right in here. There are relationships with God that are being restored right in this place. There are marriages that are being renewed. There are families that are growing together in the love of God as a result of what we're doing here. And it starts with each one of us. It starts with each one of us. And so I want to thank you all for being committed and faithful at whatever stage you're in. Whether you've been here before we got here, whether you've been here since we got here, or whether you just got on board with this thing, it doesn't matter. We're all in for the same reason. We're all in for the right reason. And that is to see the kingdom of God come to this city. We're here to ignite this city. And we will impact this nation. We will influence the world for the kingdom of God. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight, or we thank you this morning, that you are doing a work in this church, in this ministry. And Father, we give you our lives. We give you our lives because nothing is more important than you working through us. Father, give us wisdom. Give us revelation in how to bring heaven to earth. Give us your guidance and your direction as a church body to continue to drive forward in everything you've called us to do. Father, we've been obedient. We've been willing. Times, sometimes are easier than others. But Father, I thank you that as we drive forward, I thank you that as we move forward, that we will see your kingdom come in this earth. You said that your kingdom comes through pressing. Your kingdom comes through pressure. Your, your, your kingdom comes by people that are willing to take it violently and the violent will take it by force. I thank you that we will see your forceful advancement of the kingdom in this city. We do not let any barrier, we do not allow any religion or any tradition, we do not allow any work of the devil to take place, to take precedence over the work of your kingdom. But we destroy every work. We abolish every bondage that is hindering and holding people back. We want to see people come into your kingdom. We want to see people grow up spiritually in your kingdom. And we want to see others change lives as a result of what you've done inside of us. We thank you for what you're doing. You've been faithful. And we excitingly, excitingly expect great things to come in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The best is yet to come. We